been looking at large passages, so we haven't been reading those full sections. And actually, if I had to read Genesis 36, I would have had to practice for like 10 hours trying to figure out all the words and names. And so I was like, well, we're going to look at some of those things, and they're certainly important, and we're going to look at why I think they are. But it is sometimes hard. Some of those names we're just not familiar with. Um, as we get started this morning, we're going to be looking again, like in Genesis 35 and 36, to kind of put both of those together today. And I want to camp out more in 35 and then kind of pick up 36 at the end. So don't worry if I'm like 30 minutes in and you're like, oh my goodness, what is he going to do? We'll get there. I won't keep you all day. But anyway, if you just bow with me and pray together as we um, seek to know the Lord more fully. God, we just come to you today aware as we in our service as Ryan was praying, we're reminded of our sinful condition, of our inability to stand before you in any way right on our own. Lord, we know that our only hope is your saving grace. I just pray today that would come out more clearly and we would see that more fully. Lord, we know that even in the present today, there are people who are struggling with so many things. All of us have concerns and worries and, and just trouble in this fallen world. And I just pray today that we would we would see that you're working even in the midst of the trouble to accomplish your plan for your purposes and your glory. And that this life is not where the fullness of the blessing is found. And I just pray today we would see that. Lord, I know there are people all around that are hearing People say that they're speaking the word of God when they are telling the people that they will experience all the joy now and all the blessing now. And they're lying because that's not what you present to us. I just pray that you would show us that clearly today, that we would look towards the future, and that we would await your kingdom to come. And we praise you for that in Christ's name. Amen. We start today, um, just wanted to kind of remind you, I mean, uh, Jacob, the, the issue, we've been looking at Jacob's life for some time, and somebody was just telling me this week, man, it's really been a blessing to them. You kind of wait every week to think, what in the world's going to happen in Jacob's life, and what are the twists and turns, and, and I, I've really been blessed by it. I honestly, it was kind of, I wanted to get through Joseph so bad, you know, i just kind of been like, oh, we'll get through Jacob's life, but God's really used a lot of things to help me see, and one of the things I mentioned, I think, last week was Jacob's life is kind of like the school of faith, like the school of hard knocks, if you will. He makes all like all the, the wrong decisions, it seems like, often, and uh, sometimes twice, and he just kind of struggles. There's all these struggles you see in Jacob's life, and so I think it's important that we see that and we understand that God is pursuing him endlessly uh, through this process, that Jacob is not the one holding on to God. God is pursuing him, and uh, we'll see what God does to bring Jacob to brokenness, as we did see just recently that he's going to bring him that way, but it's just this process you understand in his life is, again, often we could say the same about our own. And so just kind of mention that to you. Also, um, just just remember this, and, and it, it's like God is blessing him in spite of him. God is pursuing him endlessly in spite of him. Later he is going to say, God has been my shepherd all of my days, and they have been hard. And a lot of the hardness of those days is tied to Jacob's own sin, but God is pursuing him endlessly, running after Jacob, even when Jacob often is running away. And I just think it's important that we see that and understand that because God is not in the business of saving good people. Did you know that? God is not. God doesn't save people that don't need to be rescued. 
That's not what He does. He saves people who are lost. He saves people who are broken. He saves people who are sinful. He saves people that do not deserve His grace. That's the kind of people He saves. People that don't need God to save them are not saved. That's over and over. And I think that's so clear in our study of Jacob and in our study of, listen, all the people in the Bible. And on top of that, if I were to study you and you were to study me and we were to study each other intimately and we were to say every thought that ever came into your mind, every evil thing that you ever did, if I could see that and understand that and you could do that with me, all of us would say, good night, you're a wretch and you don't deserve to be saved. That's just reality. And so I think it's important we just stop there and say, good night, God is doing this work and He is doing it and one of the things I just I was thinking about this week is, is um, whether you are a proud person or broken, the potter molds those people and shapes them for his wise and good purposes. This is both painful and good. Did you know that? The potter is shaping a people for himself. And some of them, their wickedness is shown in their arrogance and pride and some by their brokenness and shame, but all of them, everyone that will enter into the kingdom of God will come there through being broken by the Lord so that they could be healed. So I just think it's important to stop there and just understand that because I think there's pride issues in this room. All of us maybe face those ourselves, certainly. There are people here that have been financially successful maybe in some sense spiritually successful. And there's just all these elements there that can build into someone thinking that they are really more lofty and high. And God has a way of breaking us down and showing us that. And I think it's just important to say, I mean, and another thing is there's some here that you struggle with all kinds of addictions maybe. And maybe it's things I don't even, I wouldn't know about or there's others that don't know about and you say, I struggle with pornography, or I study struggle with drugs, or I struggle with alcohol, or I struggle with all different types of things. There's that kind of thing. There's both this kind of proud bunch. There's maybe this that thinks I'm a spiritually elite, or maybe I'm just socially elite. There's these people over there that are saying like, no, I'm broken, I'm messed up, I'm all these things. Ultimately, God reveals his our brokenness, and then again, he comes in to save us. What we need to do then is repent and trust in him. That's the whole story. The whole story of the Bible, the story of Jacob's life is that God is bringing Jacob to a place where he will repent and trust in Him. And God relentlessly pursues him with goodness and mercy all the days of his life, even through the trouble, so that he might come to faith in God and trust Him. That's it. So I just kind of camp out there just for a moment, even though we got a lot of texts, just say, you under- I want you to understand that and see that. Now what happens as a result? Then Jacob certainly has consequences for all his evil deeds and all the sin. And honestly, honestly, there's consequences from the sins against him that he faces, not because he did it, but because somebody else did it. All those things happen. All those things are going on. But I just think it's important to say, now if, when Jacob comes to faith in God, the call then is to walk in obedience to the Lord and to his ways. But he is going to stumble along the way, and so will we. But God has promised us by his power, the power of his spirit, that he is with us, He's strengthening us and He's empowering us. He's given us a body of believers to be around us to say, help us along the way to encourage us in those things, to confront our sin, 
All those things God has given us as grace to us. And so just to kind of lay that out as we get started now. Genesis 35 and 36. As we're looking at this, <clears throat> we're going to see, and you're just if you want to scan through 35, you'll see these things. God, there's like this divine call. God calls Jacob and then um, basically says, you return to the place that I met you before. He tells him that, and then Jacob kind of casts off his fears and goes the way that God says. Then later you're going to see that God is um, really, after he tells him that, Jacob prepares his people. And what he does is he prepares them by putting away, telling them, put away the false gods and put on new clothes. And we're going to unpack that as we're moving forward. And then as he's going through the place, he's going to the place God said, go here, God is going to protect him along the way. And, and he, he's going to get there, he's going to build an altar, and then Jacob begins to face some things. And that's what I'm saying about this goofy kind of teaching, that if you're a Christian and you're living right, you're going to get good things. But Jacob's going to watch a lot of people die, boom, 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 all the way through this. As you're looking at it, he loses someone very close to him, who was possibly involved in most of his life, as long as he was living in the promised land. As you're moving forward, you say, he's got this son that is in an inappropriate sexual relationship with one of his concubines, which is just a horrific picture. And we see that unfold, and then the narrator tells us kind of about his sons, and then Jacob's father dies. Oh, and I missed one thing there, I think, but his, his, his wife, who is always most, like he was close to Rachel all the days of his life, and it was just one of those things, she passes away. There's all these things going on, and it's sorrow and death and all kinds of stuff. And so it's just, I think it's important just to kind of note that as we move forward. Now, what does this tell us? This tells us that the promise Jacob receives is not, listen, is not fulfilled in the present. Jacob doesn't get everything God promised him in the present. He partially gets it, but he doesn't get it all. Jacob, there's an element where you're looking at this over and over, and the promise is yet to come. All the fulfillment is yet to come. All of the blessing God's promise is yet to come. And in the present, he faces much trouble and struggle even though God's presence is with him actually God is guiding his steps but God guides his steps through the difficulty and I just think it's important that we note that as we look even at our own life now the 36 is about Esau and his family and it's this long list of all of his family members you think why is that there there's a certain level a lot of things there for a lot of different issues I guess but one of the things is as you look at Esau's life you think there are kings, and there's this great civilization that's built. And you're looking at him, and you're going, what in the world? Jacob is God's man. Esau's over here. He's not. He's outside of the promise, but he looks like he's more blessed. I think it's important just to note for us, in, in this present world, oftentimes the, the ungodly people get it all. The ungodly are blessed in this present world, and yet they will not be blessed in the world to come. I just think it's important we note that as we're looking at We'll look at chapter 36. Okay, ready? 35.1, let's move quick. Ready? 35 verse 1. The divine call comes. God said to Jacob, Arise, go to Bethel. He had visited him previously, and now he is calling him to return to the place that he is to go. God is calling Jacob to, to return where he had previously visited. He is calling him to come and worship him there. Now Jacob's afraid. And why he's afraid is because last week we found out his, his sons go into a city, into a town, and they kill every male that's there. And he's thinking, the whole, there are all these little cities, as we're passing through there, they're going to hear about it, they're going to call their buddies, they're going to unite together and wipe us off the face of the earth. 
And so he's afraid to go, but God says, no, you need to go. You need to move forward. And by the Lord's Word, he steps up in faith and he moves forward and trusts, trusts God for what he tells him going to do. Now, in verses 2 through 4, what happens is Jacob prepares his people to meet God by putting away the false gods and putting on new clothes. That's what he's going to say. He's going to say, look, folks, it's time. It is time to get things right and prepare to meet God. There's something about that in the preparation to meet God that really, as you and I, seriously, if you get a vision of God, you probably would change your ways. You would probably ask, if tomorrow I'm going to meet the Lord, what would I want to put off? What would I want to throw out of my life and how would I want to be prepared? There's a certain level of like, when I'm going to meet God and I realize that, a lot of people are ready to start confessing sin. You're ready to start throwing stuff out. You just want, I mean, I want to get right. I want to get serious about being right. If you knew like next month, you'd probably reorient your life if, it were going to, if you knew you would meet the Lord. And so as we're looking at that, one of the things he says is put away these foreign gods. Now, where did they get those gods? Some of them were certainly from his father-in-law's house. His, uh, Rachel had taken some of the gods. Also, when they went into Shechem, they probably, when they got there and were looting that place, they would take all the gods. Why? There was gold and silver and all that stuff. Kind of that, they would make these wood, wooden images and they would just, like, they would be, you know, covered with gold. And so, one of the things that they'd be valuable, some is they, they could be saying, well, we'll just trust in the gods of this land. Now we have them, we have power. We don't really know. Some of it, again, it could be tied to money, some could be tied to to potentially worshiping those things. But Jacob says, get rid of all that junk. And I, and I think it's important to us, we stop and say, what about idols in our lives? We don't have, I mean, how many of you all have in your closet a little wooden thing that's carved out and it's dipped in gold and you set up every day and you kind of bow down to it and say, "Woo, I'm going to get you know close to the gods or what, you know, you don't do that. But, but idolatry, we've talked about this over and over, is anything that you would like, you, you would sin to get and sin when you don't get it. Anything that has all your affections, anything that you put as preeminent in your life, that you put to the level where at the end of the day, it is going to be at the highest level. It may be your comfort. It may be the idea of control. It may be a lot of things, power, acceptance with people. Whenever I put something up there above God, there's a lot of things that we could talk about. That whatever you fear most, right? What do you fantasize about? You start asking those things and you say, what's got my heart? What controls me? And so we have to ask those kind of things and say, look, we need to look closely at that. Now, the other thing that's going to happen is they're going to get rid of ring, earrings. And you're thinking, what is that with that? Some of that may be tied to like the stuff that they took. You know, again, it was like they became wealthy by destroying a people. Some of that may be getting those things, throwing those off, confessing that sin in a way. Some people said even those earrings and stuff were tied to the gods. I read some stuff where they said sometimes they had like little shapes on them or were made in a certain way that reminded them of gods of the people. I mean, all that kind of stuff. But as you keep moving through, just thinking about this, the other thing that we see is they had to change their garments. Now, this may have been, they may have went to that city and said, boy, look at all this thousand. I mean, Anna was at this deal this week and she said she went to look at the, the clothing that a person was wearing. And uh, they, they were like walking through having like a show or whatever. And she sees them go through and thought, boy, that's a pretty thing. She gets over there and it's like a thousand dollars to buy. And she was like, holy cow, who would buy clothes for a thousand dollars? Well, maybe they went in there and they went to the like finer store of Shechem and said, I'm going to grab all the clothes in there and throw them on and walk out with them. And there's a part of that that's saying, 
I'm getting away from that. I'm casting off those sins. We don't know exactly. Another thing is just it's symbolic. They're putting off their sin and they're covering themselves or cleaning themselves up. They're throwing off their sinful deeds and putting on the right way. I mean, that's one of the things I think we just need to see. And as Christians, we have to ask, do we, are we putting away those idols? And as John Calvin says, our hearts are like idol factories. So they're always pumping out idols. And you know this, if you fight your sin long enough, you'll be like fighting it, fighting it, fighting it. And you pursue it. And then right behind that's this other sin that just crops up and is jumping up. And you're like, good night. And so we know that struggle that goes on with us. But also, we also know that as a Christian, we are wanting to put off our evil ways and put on righteous living. Now, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I had you read that this week, but I just want to read it. It's a large section here, but I just want you to hear it because I think it's so important that we see it as we're moving forward. Ephesians in the New Testament, if you're not familiar, it's kind of that last part of your Bible, and it's probably, I don't know, it's, I don't know how to tell you to get there. It'd take a long time, but if you can find it real quick, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. This would be like the worldly people. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now just stop right there. He is saying because you've experienced the new birth, because Ephesians 2 lays that out, God has brought about a, the saving work where you were dead in your sins, you've been brought to life. Your old self is put away. Your new self has been put on. You have been given new goods. God has changed you from within. There is a transformation in your heart that has radically reshaped who you are. And then He's going to say, put off this evil, put on righteousness. Because God's changed you from within, now you put on righteous living. You put off this old way. And really, as Israel's preparing to meet God, as they're moving forward, it's saying, listen, you get prepared, all of you, my family, put off your evil ways and put on righteous ways. Now, God doesn't leave us in it by ourselves to do that. He has empowered us. We put on Christ in that way because we've trusted in what He's done and we've trusted in what He's doing in us presently by the Spirit of God. So just kind of lay that out. Now let's keep moving forward in this passage because I think it's very important to see this. Therefore, putting away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down your anger and do not give the devil uh, give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. What's he saying? If you're a thief, put off stealing, put on work. Go work. And when you work, don't just gobble it up on yourself, but you share with those in need. So what he's saying is, because you've been changed on the outside, therefore put on the clothes of godly living. And if you're a thief, stop the stealing and start working and start giving. 
just a transforming work as you see as he moves forward. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those two who hear. What's he saying? He's saying stop saying this junk. Stop putting other people down. Stop destroying them with your corrupting talk. Stop gossiping. Stop doing this. Stop doing that. Stop saying things that will destroy people. Stop. Listen, sometimes you could not cuss. There's some people that like never cuss. And you think, well, I never cuss. But your words, your words are so corrupting to people, so destructive. It's worse than cussing. Like you could cuss somebody in a, in a way that would build them up better than the way some people speak to people. No, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but that which is good for building up, that fits the occasion, that gives grace to those who hear, that blesses them, that doesn't destroy them, but builds them up. He's saying put off this way, put on the right way. Genesis 35, listen Israel, get prepared to meet your God, so turn back there. I think it's important to see that. And as he journeyed away, God protected them. So not only is he saying get your lives right, Get ready to meet God. But as you move forward in verses 5-7, through seven, as He journeyed, God protected them. Then He gets to the place and builds an altar. What He's doing is, this terror falls on the people. As He's going through the land, you would think, good night, these people may come against them. This is just a family traveling along with kids and livestock and all this stuff. And as they're moving along through there, it's just important to note that, that God is protecting them, that God is doing good to them, that there's terror in the hearts of the people. And He was protecting them completely. Romans 8 says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's a promise to us. Have you ever been afraid? I mean, really afraid? Jacob was afraid of death was like knocking on his door as he walked through a land. Everybody around him, he thought, they're, they're, every step we take, the closer we get to the next city, the more dangerous it is. And in that moment, God is saving him. You know, the Bible, it tells us our fears are unfounded. This is hard to believe. You know why? Because I'm so attached to this world. We have financial fears and we have... We have fears of what somebody might think about us. We, we have all these fears all the time. Our lives are dominated by fear of man so often. We have to put on this face or act this way or be this to this person or whatever it might be. And what he's saying is there's something, really the Scripture tells us there's something more to be afraid of than what could happen to you in this life. It's the one who's going to come in the end and judge your body and soul. Fear God. Stop fearing man. And what they do is, like over and over, Jacob has taught this. God is with him. He's protecting him. He's guiding him. And in verse 8 says that we see that Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died. And what happens there? I don't know why all that's there. But there's some element to where I think Jacob never really got... He was so close to his mom. We found that out. And he never really got to experience it in a very powerful way. He probably never saw her die. But, but this, this woman who is probably very close to him, almost as close as his mother, passes away. It's a hard thing to see. And there's somewhat, somewhat of a closure, I think, probably with his mother. In verses 9 through 15, 
uh, God speaks to Jacob, and He does so like He does to His grandfather. I'm going to read that. So let's look at this. Verse 9. And God appeared to Jacob again when He came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall you, your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So He called His name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him, and God and Jacob set up a pillar in that place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of that place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. And he has done this before. And God's repeating to him some promises. And he even like restates his new name. And he's going to speak to him in a very powerful way. And that name change, again, remember, it's like Jacob's life was one of fighting. And now he changes his name to God fights. And there's that element to where Jacob is now clinging to God, but also that God is, his, his, is fighting for him. We see that kind of unfold for us. But also he says, I am God Almighty. Same thing that was said in Genesis 17. That is a powerful statement. There is nothing outside of my hand that I, I can do anything. I'm the Almighty God. I'm above all. I reign over all. And I'm going to accomplish the work that I have for you. He's seen God as Almighty, and God is restating to him, I am the Almighty God. What I said will happen. It will come to pass. Not only that, and it's just interesting as you're thinking about it, he says, and kings will come from you. It's important. Because ultimately, as you look at the, the Israel, that means that they're not going to be wandering around forever in tents. There's going to be a kingdom established. And that kingdom will, will have a ruler. There'll be warriors that will be under the king's care and direction and all that stuff. There's something about that that says there's going to be security in this kingdom. Now later, we're going to see that the king of kings will come from Jacob. That God will raise up a king who will crush all the nations of the earth. King Jesus will come and His kingdom will last forever and it will never, ever, ever be destroyed. And I just think it's important we see that. And so He's making this promise of a kingdom and this kingdom will come to pass and that God Almighty will make it happen. And not only that, He is going to accomplish His plan ultimately through sending the King of kings and the Lord of lords who will demonstrate for us a king, what a king should be. He will protect his people even by dying for them. By giving his life for them. It's a marvelous story. Verses 16 through 20, we move forward. Then he loses um, someone even closer to him. We see that his wife, Rachel, who's been like the kind of the apple of his eye, who he's loved, I mean, just always had his heart towards her. She goes into labor. We find out that the twelfth son is about to be born. And when she goes into labor, she's about to die. She finds out that she has a son. She names him uh, Ben-Oni or whatever. But he, it's kind of like it was the son of my sorrow. And Jacob turns his name into Benjamin. It's like the son of my right arm. And in that moment, what we see is, is she's passing away. God is revealing to us again two things. One, Jacob was not exempt. He wasn't. Man, that guy saw a lot of pain. I mean, a lot of pain in his life. But we also see that her soul left her body. There's something about in the death of someone very close to us when they, are, they have died in faith. J Jacob realizes that this is not all of it. 
her soul leaves her body. She is going to be with the Lord while her body is perishing. There's something about that that gives you hope. Charles Spurgeon says, the shadow of a dog cannot bite, speaking of death, the shadow of a thief cannot steal, and the shadow of death cannot destroy. I mean, that's so important that we see that even in the midst of death, it's not the end. There is sorrow with it. He's brokenhearted, but it is not the end. Verses 21 and 22, we see another tragic deal, and we're just going to move through as we move forward. Reuben, his son, has a sexual relationship with Rachel's like kind of midwife and Jacob's concubine, and basically it's like his, in a sense, like his stepmom or whatever, he goes and has this sexual relationship with her. It's the most horrific thing, and some of the reasons why they did that, one might have been, is because he knew his mom Leah might still not be the apple of Jacob's eye, but also it may have been that he really recognized, I'm going to try to take control now of the family. That happened later with King David and his son Absalom. I don't know what's all going on there, but it's a horrific thing. Again, Jacob does not see it all here. He doesn't get all the blessings here. This life is not all rosy for Jacob. Jacob, God says, I am with you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to do good to you. All these things. And there will be kings and there will be this kingdom established. All this stuff. But Jacob is living, waiting to see those things come to pass. And he never fully sees it. After this takes place in verse 23 through 26, the boys are mentioned all of the sons of Jacob. There are 12 of them. They're going to become the 12 tribes of Israel. It's a very beautiful picture. We're going to see that as it unpacked. But you'll notice that they're separated by their mothers, and we know that's going to be a problem. Man, when we get into Joseph's story, you're like, good night. These cats are going to fight among themselves, and it's just a wild thing that's going to go on. As you move forward, the last 27 through 29, lastly, Jacob's father dies, and he is he's buried, and he's buried by both of his sons. But I just think it's a really, again, a reminder. It's not only a closure that Jacob's kind of becoming the son of the promise and everything's moving and shifting to him. But it's also just a reminder, the brokenness of the fallen condition is that death is coming. That it's not all here. And we build our lives in the here and now and often we don't understand this, but death is coming. It's going to snuff you out. Right? It's never, it's not, there's not some of us here are going to be like, oh yeah, I'm going I'm to escape that. I mean, I can be as healthy as I want to, do all the things. You're not going to escape it. And so there's this element where you say, what are you building your life upon? In this life there will be death, but God has promised an eternal covenant to His people. And that's a marvelous picture. Now, last little bit in Genesis 36. And I just want to mention a couple of things as you see this. One, this is, this, this is Esau is Edom. And I just think that's important to mention. And what you're going to see is that the people of Edom are going to be trouble for God's people all the way through. Esau is going, like one of those things that we see with them, is Esau is going to be established into a great people. I mean a powerful people. It's, it's very clear in the Scripture that that is taking place. The second thing that we'll see, and it's just important, by the way, just stop there real quick. Edom is going to be like, Israel's going to say, alright, let's, let's go talk to our brothers, Edom, and later when they're coming out of like Egypt, they're going to come down, and when they're trying to go in, Edom says, look, you pass through our lands, we are going to come out for war, and we already know they're a warrior people, and beat you down. That's what they said. Now later, another thing happens, is, is there's this point where Israel's going to be taken by the Babylonians, and when they're coming out, again, Edom's going to say, they're going to try to do whatever they can to make sure they're drugged completely out of the land, and they didn't help anybody. Or, that's what the whole book of Obadiah is, if you ever read it. Now, the last little bit here, the third thing that we see, 
is Esau leaves the promised land. Esau leaves. It's kind of like Lot leaving Abraham. Esau leaves the promised land. He is not a part of the covenant people of God. God is making a separation between His people and Esau's people. Esau steps out of that. He does that willingly. He leaves. And the fourth thing you see is Esau, though, when he does leave, again, they become chiefs and kings and all these things. And you know what they got? Esau got the best now. In Esau's story, you know what? Like when we read Jacob's story, we're going to say he's running around in tents and ultimately they're going to go to Egypt and they're going to be enslaved for 400 years and Esau's going to be in all of his pride and all of his wealth, all of these kings, all of this power and Esau's story seems like that's the one of blessing and that's kind of what's twisted about God's kingdom. Oftentimes the people who suffer in the present are His people and the people that don't are not. And you see that over and over in the story of God. It's not about making His people be filled with ease and comfort in the present. Oftentimes it's suffering in the present. They are following a crucified Messiah. They are following in the age of the crucifixion. We are following in the age of suffering. That's who we follow. We follow a Jesus who suffered in this life, but was raised and is seated with God. That's the story that kind of runs through the Scripture. God's people, God's prophets, God's apostles, God's church, they suffer in the present oftentimes. It is not their best life here. It is not the greatest blessing here. The suffering and the difficulty and the trouble of living for God in this life is horrific. We have a lot of enemies. We have Satan. We have our own flesh. We have the world system all coming against the people of God in the present. God is with His people. He's empowering them. He's moving ahead with them. But it's not their best time right now. And the Apostle Paul speaks that to us over and over and over again. Jacob's life was filled with difficulties. In many ways, you see Esau's life in this chapter presented as prosperous in many, many, many generations. But ultimately... Esau's kingdom came to an end. God crushed them for all their rebellion, for all their, their tearing up of the people of God and hurting them. God crushed them. They do not exist. But His kingdom, Jacob's, and the kingdom we're a part of, no one will ever crush that kingdom. 2 Corinthians 4 says, So do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. It means we are a people of faith. We're looking beyond the present to the future for the things that are seen are transient. They're going away, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so I think as you come to this today, listen, you can say, I'm going to live the world and I'm going to experience all the pleasures of this age and I'm going to drink my fill of it and I'm not going to identify with the people of God and I'm not going to serve King Jesus and I'm going to live my life completely and absolutely for myself and I'm going to get the American dream my way and I'm going to do that with all that I can do it and I'm going to make that the the desire of my heart and I'm going to build up the idols of of, of self-preservation, self-love, 
treasuring all this world. I'm going to eat it up. I'm going to store it up. All that I can ever get. That's what I'm going to do. And I'll say this. You do that. And you'll go the way of Esau. You may have great life in the present, but you will face judgment in the end. I, I tell you, today you had better choose wisely to either turn away from this world and trust Christ or embrace it. But if you do, judgment will come. If you don't, it may be trouble now. You may face sickness and struggle and see so many in your family pass away and face struggles for walking with God and all kinds of battles and trying to crucify your flesh and satanic attack. All those things may come, but in the end, God has promised He is with us. He will keep us. He will preserve us. And to be among His people will be the place where true joy will be found both in the present and eternally. Father, we thank You. We thank You that You remind us of these truths. That You do not hide us, hide us from the realities of a fallen world. Lord, we know that You did not promise Jacob all just wonderful, wonderful things in the present. There were many things that he saw from afar. That he had to trust by faith that You were going to do. Lord, that's, we know that's always the way of Your people. We know that Jesus was crucified, buried, and rose again. He defeated death and the grave. And He defeated all of our, our diseases and all of the disorders and all of the distress of this age. He defeated all of it. But we are still living here. And so I just pray that You give us the eyes of faith that we will see and believe that in the end, all things will be made right. That we will be a part of His kingdom that it will never end. Lord, maybe, may that push away all the fears and anxieties, all the fantasies of making it in this world, all the longings that we have for treasure in the present, and may we store up treasure that where, where moth and rust do not destroy and that thieves do not break in and steal. In Christ's name, amen.